study by Srila Prabhupada. Chapter 3, The Birth of Lord Krishna. So, um, so I don't fall asleep. <laughs> we'll read and then we'll stop and maybe I'll ask a question or ask if you have any questions. Or just raise your hand if you want. Let me, let me read for a while and then I'll stop and I'll look up and See, if there's no hands, then I might ask you a question. Yesterday we left off with the, um, the birth of Baladev, that mysterious transfer from the womb of Devaki to the womb of Jashoda. This is certainly a first in the annals of, well, it's not medical history, it's transcendental history. You can't transfer embryos from wombs to wombs, at least not yet. <laughs> but it was done from Devaki to Jashoda and it had nothing to do with the material energy anyway. It's transcendental. Chapter 3, The Birth of Lord Krishna. Oh, and I looked, I tried to sell the mystery of uh, when was, how old, much older is Balaram than Krishna? Is it just eight days? Or is it a year and eight days? And there was no, no more information in the verses in the Bhagavatam. You found something. Well, I don't think that was conclusive, but it says like year after year she gave birth. So it is mentioned that it's like... Year after year. That sort of suggests that it was another year. Yeah. Well, that would make sense, even, I mean, from the material point of view. Not that Krishna couldn't come just eight days after that transfer. Okay. Chapter 3, The Birth of Lord Krishna. And you'll see how when Prabhupada tells the Leela, he, he's weaving in so much philosophy so we don't misunderstand anything. In the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says that his appearance, birth, and activities are all transcendental and that one who understands them factually becomes immediately eligible to be transferred to the spiritual world. Okay, verse. What's the verse? Prophet says in the Bhagavad Gita, it says that Krishna's birth and activities are all transcendental, and if you understand that. Four nine. Yes, what is 4 9? Let's hear it. One who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities does not, upon leaving the body, take his birth again in this material world, but attains my eternal abode, O Arjuna. So that's big, huh? So, if we understand Krishna both deeply, it's a ticket to ride back to God. The Lord's appearance or birth is not like that of an ordinary man who is forced to accept a material body according to his past deeds. The Lord's appearance is explained in the second chapter. He appears out of his own sweet pleasure. Now I'm having trouble with that. Where does it say in the second chapter of the Gita, the Lord appears out of his own sweet pleasure? It must be there, huh? No? If you think of it, let us know. I mean, in the fourth chapter he says that, but it says the second here. 
When the time was mature for the appearance of the Lord, the constellations became very auspicious. Right now the moon is waning, but when Krishna appeared, even though the moon was waning, we'll come to that. The astrological influence of the star known as Rohini was predominant, so it must be a very auspicious star. This star is considered to be very auspicious and is under the direct supervision of Brahma. According to the astrological count conclusion, besides the proper situation of the stars, there are auspicious and inauspicious moments due to the different situations of the different planetary systems. At the time of Krishna's birth, the planetary systems were automatically adjusted so that everything became auspicious. Because Krishna is in charge of material nature. And we'll get to the moon part later. At that time, in all directions, east, west, south, north, everywhere, there was an atmosphere of peace and prosperity. There were auspicious stars visible in the sky and on the surface of the earth, in all towns and villages, and pasturing grounds, and within the minds of everyone, there were signs of good fortune. The rivers were flowing full of waters, and lakes were beautifully decorated with lotus flowers. I'm hearing a little feedback, is that not too bad? Um, if you want, just bring the speaker close, uh, forward. This? Bring the speaker the speaker. Forward. Just bring it a little bit forward. Okay. Good. How much? As much as you can. Okay. Good. Still here? I think so. Maybe more. Alright, just bring it down a little bit then, the volume. You got it? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. Okay. Alright? Yeah, that's better. The forests were full with beautiful birds and peacocks. All the birds within the forests began to sing with sweet voices, and the peacocks began to dance along with their consorts. I actually saw our peahen the other day in back of the peacock, who was in full fan, and she was like in back of the fan, and was looking up at the fan, <laughs> kind of like, like she was studying the fan. Did you ever see that? Usually she's sort of out front, yeah. pawing, the, you know, clawing the dirt. But she was in back of the fan, like a scientist or an anthropologist, looking. <laughs> hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> uh, okay. The wind blew very pleasantly, carrying the aroma of different flowers and the sensation of bodily touch was very pleasing. At home, the brahmanas, who were accustomed to offering sacrifices in the fire, found their homes very pleasant for offerings. Due to disturbances created by the demoniac kings, the sacrificial fire had been almost stopped in the houses of brahmanas, but now they could find the opportunity to start the fire peacefully. So in general, in that chapter, Kamsa begins his pure uh, persecutions. 
counts as just making everything so... Well, that hasn't happened yet, actually, but even before, yeah, when Kamsa was... Because it was his ministers, Kamsa, his, his tragic flaw, like Dhritarashtra's tragic flaw, is that he was listening to bad advice. He would have these sentiments, oh, I'm such a demon, how could I think of killing you? And, and then his ministers would convince him to do the wrong thing. So, uh, yeah, one of the things Kansa's ministers convinced him was to stop, let's stop all these sacrificial performances and uh, let's, let's kill the baby, that was later, kill the babies, kill the Brahmins even. And that certainly this will dishearten Lord Vishnu because these are all very dear to Lord Vishnu. So crazy, crazy proposals. Being forbidden to offer sacrifices, the brahmanas had been very much distressed in mind, intelligence, and activities. But just on the point of Krishna's appearance, automatically their minds became full of joy because they could hear transcendental vibrations in the sky proclaiming the appearance of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So Krishna, by his will, overrode all these demoniac influences and made everything auspicious. The denizens of the Gandharva and Kinnara planets began to sing, and the denizens of Siddhaloka and the planets of the Charanas began to offer prayers in the service of the Personality of Godhead. In the heavenly planets, the angels and their wives, along with the Vidyadaras and their wives, began to dance. So they all they know what's coming, because the Lord has said, I'm coming, don't worry. And then all the signs made his appearance imminent, and they were all rejoicing. The great sages and the demigods, being pleased, began to shower flowers. At the seashore there was the sound of mild waves, and above the sea there were clouds in the sky which began to thunder very pleasingly. <laughs> so all these natural phenomena, which uh, very often in Kali Yuga are, are in the extreme, extreme drought, extreme flooding, you know, all these things became just sweet and mild, or the wind. Sometimes there's no wind, we want wind, and sometimes there's too much wind. But here the sense of touch was very pleasing because the wind was blowing just mildly. When things were adjusted like this, so the stage is all set, when things were adjusted like this, Lord Vishnu, who is residing within the heart of every living entity, appeared in the darkness of night as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, before Devaki. So how did Krishna first appear? As Vishnu, as uh, majestic, yeah. He just, boom, there he was. So that was rather uh, astonishing. Before Devaki, who appeared as one of the demigodesses. So when she was pregnant, quote-unquote, with Krishna, she began to be so effulgent, everyone thought she was just like a demigoddess. The appearance of Lord Vishnu at that time could be compared to the rising of the full moon 
over the eastern horizon. Here's the moon thing now. Because remember, the moon is waning, but not on Krishna's appearance. Krishna just adjusted everything. So it looked like a full moon. The objection may be raised that since Lord Krishna appeared on the eighth day of the waning moon, there could be no rising of the full moon. In answer to this, it may be said that Lord Krishna appeared in the dynasty, which is in the hierarchy of the moon. Therefore, although the moon was incomplete on that night, because of the Lord's appearance in the dynasty, wherein the moon is himself the original person, the moon was in an overjoyous condition. So that by the grace of Krishna, he could appear just like a full moon. So, overriding the natural law. The man in the moon was smiling. <laughs> he was full. Of course, it's not the man in the moon. In India, it's the rabbit in the moon. Have you, have you seen the rabbit and have you seen the man in the moon? The rabbit's a profile. And the man in the moon is uh, like a three-quarter face. So it took me years to see the rabbit because of my conditioning to see the man in the moon. It's, uh, it's like the Rorschach test. They, they ask you to, okay, what does this look like to you? Right? And according to our spell under the modes of nature, we see different things. In an astronomical treatise by the name Kamanikya, the constellation at the time of the appearance of Lord Krishna was very nicely described. Our, excuse, the constellations at the time of the appearance of Lord Krishna are very nicely described. So many different configurations of the stars. It is confirmed that the child born at that auspicious moment was the Supreme Brahman or the Absolute Truth. So the stars can actually show this. So Krishna arranged it a big neon, like we have neon lights flashing, you know. Now we have neon, we have these lights flashing around the stop signs. I guess people aren't stopping. Now they have lights around the steps. <laughs> so you have in the sky, you have Krishna flashing his uh, signal that he's, he's appearing now. Vasudeva, Vasudeva's, the father, right? saw that wonderful child born as a baby with four hands, holding conch shell, club, disc, and lotus flower. Okay, so first Vishnu appears before Devaki, big, and then it looks like he's appearing still as Vishnu, but it looks like he's a baby. Well, let me keep reading. Holding conch shell, club, disc, and lotus flower, decorated with the mark of Srivatsa, wearing the jeweled necklace of Kaustuba stone, dressed in yellow silk, appearing dazzling like a bright blackish cloud, wearing a helmet bedecked with a Viduria stone, valuable bracelets, earrings, and similar other ornaments all over his body, and beautified by a, an abundance of hair on his head. Sometimes babies are born with a lot of hair, huh? Yeah. But not like Krishna's hair. Beautiful ornamented. Okay, I'll just keep reading. Due to the extraordinary features of the child, Vasudeva was struck with wonder. How could a newly born child be so decorated? So he wasn't only had a full head of hair, but he had all these 
accoutrements of Vishnu. Vasudeva could therefore understand that Lord Krishna had now appeared and he became overpowered by the occasion. Vasudeva very humbly wondered that although he was an ordinary he, Vasudeva was an ordinary living entity conditioned by material nature and was extremely was, ex, was externally prison, imprisoned by Kamsa, the all-pervading personality of Godhead Vishnu or Krishna had appeared as a child in his home, exactly in his original position. And prison is a very stark, hard-bitten place. Why would God want to come there? But because the devotion of his devotees no earthly child is born with four hands, decorated with ornaments and nice clothing, fully equipped with all the signs of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Over and over again, Vasudeva glanced at his child, and he considered how to celebrate this auspicious moment. So Vasudeva is born Chetriya family. Yeah. And he, gave, and he married a Chetriya lady. Yeah. So it's the duty of the Chetriyas, especially to give in charity, especially at the time of, of, of birth of a child. Uh, let's see. How to celebrate this auspicious moment? Quote Generally, when a male child is born, he thought, people observe the occasion with jubilant celebrations. And in my home, although I am imprisoned, the Supreme Personality of Godhead has taken birth. How many millions and millions of times should I be prepared to observe this auspicious ceremony? So, ahaitukiya pratihata. He's not thinking, oh, I'm in prison, what can I do? He's thinking, no, we've got to observe this grandly, the best. When Vasudeva, who was also called Anakudundubi, I have a godbrother with that name, Anakudundubi, He's a Brit. Have you ever met Anakudundubi? Neither have I. I'm dying to meet him and say his name. <laughs> oh, Anakudundubi Prabhu. I don't even know if he's still with us, actually. I think he might have passed. When Vasudev, who was also called Anakudundubi, was looking at his new, newborn baby, he was so happy that he wanted to give many thousands of cows in charity to the Brahmins. According to the Vedic system, whenever there is an auspicious ceremony in the Chhatriya king's palace, out of joy the king gives many things in charity. Cows decorated with golden ornaments are delivered to the Brahmins and sages. Vasudeva wanted to perform a charitable ceremony to celebrate Krishna's appearance. But because he was shackled within the walls of Kamsa's prison, this was not possible. Instead, within his mind, he gave thousands of cows to the Brahmas. So he did it, couldn't do it externally, so he did it internally. Manas, Manasadam, Manadam, he gave in charity. And because it was true, sincere, it was effective. When Vasudeva was convinced that the newborn child was the Supreme Personality of Godhead himself, he bowed down with folded hands and began to offer him prayers. At that time, Vasudeva was in the transcendental position, and he became completely free from all fear of Kamsa. 
The newborn baby was also flashing his effulgence within the room in which he appeared. Vasudev then began to offer his prayers. So for the sake of Lila, maybe I'll just read the last of the prayers. Yeah, there's so many prayers. Yes, here's the last one. I understand that you have appeared in order to kill the uncivilized Kamsa and his followers. But knowing that you were to appear in order to kill him and his followers, he has already killed so many of your predecessors, your elder brothers, not the six sons of Devaki, who one after another were killed by Kamsa. Your elder brothers. Now he is simply awaiting the news of your birth. As soon as he, as he hears about it, he will immediately appear with all kinds of weapons to kill you. And that's the last of us. Now, Devaki, let's read the first of hers and the last. After this prayer of Vasudev, just see, God is appearing before these devotees and their immediate devotional response is to offer prayers. They're just, yeah, they're so devotional. They aren't just relishing the moment for themselves or, or gloating even. We've got God. <laughs> no, they're offering him prayers. After this prayer of Vasudev, Devaki, the mother of Krishna, offered her prayers. She was very frightened. Now it's a different mood. She's the mom. She's really afraid that her, little, her child is going to be harmed harm by Thompson. She was very frightened because of her brother's atrocities. David, he said, My dear Lord, your eternal forms like Narayan, Lord Ram, Hayashirsha, Varaha, Nrisingha, Vaman, Baladev, and millions of similar incarnations emanating from Vishnu are described in the Vedic literature as original. You are original because all your forms as incarnations are outside of this material creation. Your form was existing before this cosmic manifestation was created. Your forms are eternal and all-pervading. They are also self-effulgent, changeless, and uncontaminated by the material qualities. Such eternal forms are ever cognizant and full of bliss. They are situated in transcendental goodness and are always engaged in different pastimes. You are not limited to a particular form only. All such transcendental eternal forms are self-sufficient. I can understand that you are the Supreme Lord Vishnu. Okay, now let's go to, let's find the last of her prayers. Oh, it's much shorter. Okay, her last prayer is, Therefore, my Lord, I request you to save me from the cruel hands of Kamsa, the son of Ugrasena. I am praying to your Lordship to please rescue me from this fearful condition because you are, all, you are always ready to give protection to your servitors. Unquote. Then Prabhupada interjects. The Lord has confirmed this statement in the Bhagavad Gita by assuring Arjuna, quote, you may declare to the world my devotee shall never be vanquished. Okay. Now let's, it's 8.28. I want to make sure we get to the, the great passage across the Jamuna. 
Yeah, because now um, Prabhupada, must be Shukadeva Goswami, they go into um, the previous lives of Vasudeva and Devaki and how this life, this is the third incarnation of having Krishna as Vishnu as their son. And now in this time, this time they're all going to go home. Vasudeva and Devaki. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. So in due course of time, Krishna and Sutapa were the, the most immediate recent incarnations. In due course of time, Krishna became pregnant and gave birth to the child. The, the Lord spoke to Devaki and Vasudeva. So now this is... Um, yes, the Lord speaking, addressing them. Quote, at that time, my name was Krishna Garba. Oh, we're still back there, aren't we? Now, let's see. Okay, he's summarizing. It was Krishna Garba. In the next millennium, you took birth as a Diti and Kashyapa. Remember the third canon? And I became your child of the name Upendra, Vamandev. That was later. That was... Oh no, that was, yeah, Aditi, not Diti. Diti was the one. Hiranyaksha <laughs> and So Aditi, because she had uh, intercourse at the right time. At that time, my form was just like a dwarf. And for this reason, I was known as Vamanadev. I gave you the benediction that I would take birth as your son three times. The first time I was known as Krishna Garba, born of Krishna and Sutapal. In the next birth, I was Upendra, born of Aditi and Kashyapa. And now for the third time, I am born as Krishna, from you, Devaki and Vasudev. I have appeared in this Vishnu form just to convince you that I am the same Supreme Personality of Godhead and again taken birth. I could have appeared just like an ordinary child, but in that way you would not have believed that the Supreme Personality of Godhead had taken birth in your womb. My dear father and mother, you have therefore raised me many times as your child with great affection and love, and I am therefore very much pleased and obliged to you. And I assure you that this time you shall go back home, back to Godhead, on account of your perfection in your mission. I know you are very concerned about me and afraid of Kamsa, therefore I order you to take me immediately to Gokula and exchange me for the daughter who has just been born to Jashoda. <laughs> so, you could have said, no worries, I'm just going to kill Kamsa. No, but for the sake of the Leela, the whole, there's so many intrigues, so the whole miraculous uh, mystery of midnight, which we're going to hear on Friday night, is going to have to play out where Vasudeva uh, is going to take Krishna after he turns himself into a baby across the Jamuna. Having spoken thus to his father and mother, the Lord turned himself into an ordinary child in their presence and remain silent. He's still Krishna, full omnipotent, but now he's playing like a baby. Being ordered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vasudeva prepared to take his son from the delivery room. Some delivery room, huh? 
prison jail cell. And exactly at that time, huh, it's Krishna's sense of drama, exactly at that time, a daughter was born to Nanda and Jashoda over yonder. She was, who was she? Yoga Maya. She was Yoga Maya, the internal potency of the Lord. By the influence of this internal potency, Yoga Maya, now, well, so it was her doing. Even though she was born across the river, now Yoga Maya is going to do her whammy on uh, the prison and the prison and the guards. By the influence of this internal potency, Yoga Maya, all the residents of Kamsa's palace, especially the doorkeepers, were overwhelmed with deep sleep, and all the palace doors opened. Yoga Maya unlocked all the doors. Although they were barred and shackled with iron chains, the night was very dark. It's like you notice the moon is getting smaller. Right? Uh, no, but, but the moon was overjoyous. It was appearing like a full moon, but there was a storm clouds. And now the forecast is just cloudy. It's not supposed to rain. The night was very dark, but as soon as Vasudev took Krishna on his lap and went out, he could see everything, just as in the sunlight. Doesn't say because of Krishna's effulgence, but Krishna was lighting everything up. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is said that Krishna is just like sunlight, and that wherever there is Krishna, the illusory energy, which is compared to darkness, cannot remain. When Vasudeva was carrying Krishna, the darkness of the night disappeared. All the prison doors automatically opened. At the same time, there was thunder in the sky and severe rainfall. So this was kind of cover, too, for all the noises of the doors opening and the shackles. This was a little uh, stage management by Yogamaya. While Vasudeva was carrying his son Krishna in the falling rain, Lord Shesha, in the shape of a serpent, spread his hood over the head of Vasudeva so that he would not be hampered by the rainfall. So that's Baladev, Balaram. He, his expansion is Ananta. So he became this nice big umbrella going across the parted sea. Vasudev came onto the bank of the Jamuna and saw that the water of the Jamuna was roaring with waves and that the whole span was full of foam. I'm just testing to see if... You know, sometimes you come across these phrases and if you've read Krishna book, you just know what the next word is. It's a Prabhupada word. <laughs> foam. So, foamy, frothy... Stormy sea here, stormy river. Uh, let's see. Still, in that furious feature, the river gave passage to Vasudev to cross, just as the great Indian Ocean gave a path to Lord Ram when he was bridging over the Gulf. Totally different circumstance. Here, the the river's parting, and there, what did the, what did the sea do? She allowed what? Rocks the rocks to flow. 
Yeah. In this way, Vasudev crossed the river Jamuna. On the other side, he went to the place of Nanda Maharaj, situated in Gokula, where he saw that all the cowherd men were fast asleep. After all, it's midnight. He took the opportunity to silently enter the house of Jashoda, and without difficulty, he exchanged his son for the baby girl, newly born there. Then, after entering the house very silently and exchanging the boy for the girl, he returned to the prison of Kamsa and silently put the girl on the lap of Devaki. He again clamped the shackles on himself so that Kamsa could not recognize that so many things had happened. And Prabhupada, he ends this chapter with this real sweet kind of cliffhanger. He, he, he pans back to Gokul and he says, Mother Jashoda understood that a child had been born to her, but because she was very tired from the labor of childbirth, she fell fast asleep. When she awoke, she could not remember whether she had given birth to a male or a female child. And that's the end. <laughs> and, yeah, and then chapter 4 is Kamsa begins his persecutions because you go right into the prison and, uh, oh, I guess we should read. It's 840, we'll read a little more. Yeah, because now we find out what happened with, uh, with Kamsa and Yogamaya and Devaki and the whole thing. Yeah, okay. So we'll read until 9 a.m. Okay. 20 minutes. Kamsa begins his persecution, but that's later. So after Vasudev adjusted things as they had been before, he carried Krishna to Gokula, and all the doors and gates became similarly closed, the gatekeepers awoke and heard the newborn child crying. Uh-huh. And they're the first responders because Kamsa told them, if anybody's born, let me know. Kamsa was waiting to hear the news of the child's birth, and the gatekeepers immediately approached him and informed him that the child was born. At that time, Kamsa got up from his bed very quickly and exclaimed, okay, what did he say? This is a famous line. Now the cruel death of my life is born. Yes, that's it. <laughs> that's the first thing he said. So he knows he's doomed, but he's stubborn. Kamsa became perplexed now that his death was approaching. Kamsa, and his hair scattered. Immediately, he proceeded toward the place where the child was born. Devaki, on seeing her brother approaching, prayed in a very meek attitude to Kamsa. You remember, she was praying to Krishna, please save me from Kamsa. So now she's being empowered with a prayer that will turn Kamsa's mind. Quote, My dear brother, please, do not kill this female child. I promise that this child will be the wife of your son. Therefore, don't kill her. 
You are not to be killed by any female child. The omen was that you are to be killed by a male child. So please, do not kill her. My dear brother, you have killed so many of my children who were just born, shining like the sun. That is not your fault. Pacify. You have been advised by demoniac friends to kill my children. It's, it's their fault. Your friend. But now I beg you to excuse this girl, at least. Let her live as my daughter. And she said she's going to be the wife of your, your son. And then Prabhupada says, Kamsa was so cruel that he did not listen to the pitiful prayers of his sister Devaki. He forcibly, oh that's right, yeah, it wasn't turned. It was Yogamaya that turned him. <laughs> he forcibly grabbed the newborn child to rebuke his sister and attempted to dash her on a stone mercilessly. So right in front of his sister he was going to just dash her newborn female to bits. This is a graphic example of a cruel demon who could sacrifice all relationships for the sake of personal gratification. But the child immediately slipped out of his hands, yay, went up into the sky and appeared with eight arms. So, eight arms, who's that? Durga. As the younger sister of Vishnu, she was decorated with nice garments and flower garlands and ornaments. In her eight hands she held... She held four auspicious and four ferocious. She held a bow, lance, arrow, sword. That's the first thing he saw. <laughs> the cruel death of my life is born. And then conchal disc, club, and shield, the symbols of her glorious brother Vishnu. Seeing the appearance of the child, who was actually the goddess Durga, all the demigods from different planets like Siddhalok, Charanalok, Gandharvalok, Apsaraloka, Kinaralok, and Uragalok, presented her with various articles and began to offer their respective prayers. From above, the goddess addressed Kamsa. She's up in the air. Kamsa's looking up at her like, totally stunned, yeah? You rascal! How can you kill me? The child who will kill you is already born before me somewhere within this world. Don't be so cruel to your poor sister. That's what turned him. <laughs> he was afraid, and she was like, ordering him, don't be so cruel to your poor sister. Unquote. After this appearance, Goddess Durga became known by various names in various parts of the world. Okay, how are we doing? Good. After hearing these words, Kamsa became very much overwhelmed with fear. Out of pity, he immediately released Vasudeva and Devaki from the bondage of their shackles and very politely began to address them. <laughs> now this happened before. Remember? They were going to be married and then Kamsa heard of her Narada. That was the omen. The eighth child of this 
or your sister will kill you. So immediately Kamsa wanted to chop off her head. But then uh, Leela played out and he released her. But then, you know, so you can't trust the demoniac mentality. It's too whimsical. <coughs> so out of pity, he immediately released Vasudeva and Devaki from the bondage of their shackles and very politely began to address them as follows. Now this is a classic demon <laughs> appeal, petition. He said, my dear sister and brother-in-law, now he's all, now he's all uh, sweet, right? I have acted just like a demon in killing my own nephews, your children, and thereby I have given up all considerations of our intimate relationship. I do not know what will be the result of these envious acts of mine. He's afraid of the karma, right? Probably I shall be sent to the hell where killers of Brahmins go. I am surprised, however, that the celestial prophecy has not come true. So he's seeing a little wiggle room here. Uh -huh. He thinks he's, he can wiggle out of this. It is not only in human society that false propaganda is found. Now it appears that even the celestial denizens speak lies. He doesn't know the Leela is just taking a different turn. Because I believed in the words of the celestial denizens, now he's blaming it on <laughs> the prophecy. I have committed so many sins by killing the children of my sister. It's this prophecy that made me do it. My dear Vasudeva and Devaki, you are both very great souls. I have no instructions to give you but still I request you that you not be sorry for the death of your children. <laughs> Whoa. Every one of us is under the control of superior power, and that superior power does not allow us to remain together. So he's weaving in some truth with some pitiful logic here, pitiful plea. We are bound to be separated from our friends and relatives in due course of time, but we must know for certain that even after the disappearance of the different material bodies, the soul remains intact eternally. For example, there are many pots made of earthly clay, and they are prepared and also broken. But in spite of this, the earth remains as it is perpetually. Similarly, the bodies of the soul under different conditions are made and destroyed, but the spirit soul remains eternally. So there is nothing to lament over. Everyone should understand that this material body is different from the spirit soul. And so long as one does not come to that understanding, he is sure to accept the processes of transmigration from one body to another. So he's using philosophy in the service of his, uh, his own desires here. Listen to this. My dear sister David Key, you are so gentle and kind. Please excuse me. Don't be aggrieved by the death of your children, which I have caused. Actually, this was not done by me, because all these are predestined activities. Destiny did it. What a rascal, huh? 
He's completely abrogating the responsibility of having free will. Yeah, there's, there's karma, but there's free will. And ultimately we're responsible for what we do, despite what's happened in the past. One has to act according to the predestined plan. He's just arguing on the karma side. The predestined plan, even unwillingly, I was forced. People misunderstand that with the end of the body, the self dies, or they think that one can kill another living entity. All these misconceptions oblige one to accept the conditions of material existence. In other words, as long as one is not firmly convinced of the eternality of the soul, one is subjected to the tribulation of being killer and killed. My dear sister David Key and brother-in-law Vasudev, kindly excuse the atrocities I have committed against you. I am very poor-hearted. Well, that's true. And you are so great-hearted. So take compassion upon me and excuse me. This, this is like an attorney, an attorney in a court making specious arguments to try to sway the jury. <laughs> Ah, how are we doing? Okay, we have nine minutes. While Kamsa was speaking to his brother-in-law and sister, tears flowed from his eyes. He's even crying for the jury. And he fell down at their feet, believing the words of Durga Devi, whom he had tried to kill. What did Durga say? The child who will kill you is already born somewhere else. So he, that was really at the, at the bottom of these arguments. They were, they were being driven by his total terror. Kamsa immediately released his brother-in-law and sister. He personally unlocked the iron shackles and very sympathetically showed his friendship for his family members. Okay, so Vasudevadeviki, they're naturally soft-hearted, so they're going to respond in kind. But they're not fools either. So you see what happened in the next few minutes. When Devaki saw her brother so repentant, not really, just terrified, but she took it that way as a soft-hearted, saintly person. She also became pacified and forgot all his atrocities, his atrocious activities against her children. Vasudeva also, forgetting all past incidents, spoke Smilingly with his brother-in-law, Vasudev told Kamsa, quote, My dear fortunate brother-in-law, what you are saying about the material body and the soul is correct. Every living entity is born ignorant, misunderstanding this material body to be his self. This conception of life is due to ignorance. And on the basis of this ignorance, we create enmity or friendship. Lamentation, jubilation, fearfulness, envy, greed, illusion, and madness are different features of our material concept of life. A person influenced like this engages in enmity only due to the material body. Being engaged in such activities, we forget our eternal relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So, Vasudeva is trying to solidify the philosophy 
that Kamsa was speaking and uh, perhaps hoping against hope he won't change his mind again. But it's going to come. Vasudev took the opportunity of Kamsa's benevolence and informed him that his atheist a activities were also due to this misconception of life. <laughs> so that's another way. Yeah, actually your bodily concept is what drove you to do these atrocities. Namely, taking the material body to be the self. When Vasudev talked with Kamsa in such an illuminating way, Kamsa became very much pleased and his guilt for killing his nephew subsided. So he took it in another way. He took it that, oh, he's forgiving me, he's excusing me. With the permission of his sister Devaki and brother-in-law Vasudev, he returned to his home with a relieved mind. So Vasudev took away his terror. Okay, so in the next paragraph you see what happened the next day, how Kamsa flips due to the association with his demoniac ministers. Yeah, I'll just read it. It's really a, a case study in the whimsical material mind and uh, the power of that association. It's the paragraph starts, it's a long paragraph that starts with the word but, because we ended on a nice, happy, light note that Prabhupada starts with. But the next day, Kamsa called his counselors, all his counselors together and narrated to them all the incidents that had happened the night before. So he's, he's in a good mood. Yeah, no worries. All the counselors of Kamsa were demons and eternal enemies of the demigods. So they became depressed upon hearing their master speak of the night's events. And although they were not very much experienced or learned, they began to give instructions to Kamsa as follows. So beware of who we take advice from, right? <laughs> we want to take advice from people whose life, whose very life embodies wisdom and not uh, demoniac activities. This is what they said to Kamsa. Dear sir, let us now make arrangements to kill all children who were born within the last ten days in all towns, counties, villages, and pastoring grounds. So they took it. Oh, just because this, it was a girl that was born, it doesn't mean that you're out of the woods. It could be anybody. And what did that Yogamaya say? The child who will kill you was already born. So then now they want to kill all the children. Let us execute this plan indiscriminately. Kill them all. We think that the demigods cannot do anything against us if we perform these atrocities. They are always afraid of fighting with us. On the last paragraph. They are always afraid of fighting with us. And even if they wish to check our activities, they will not dare to do so. Because of your immeasurable strength, and now they're playing up to Thompson, they're going to flatter him to help get him back. 
to be a demon. Um, because of your immeasurable strength, they fear your bow. Indeed, we have practical experience that whenever you stood to fight with them and began to shower your arrows on them, they immediately fled in all directions just to save their lives. Many of the demigods were unable to fight with you, and they immediately surrendered themselves unto you by loosening their turbans and the tufts of hair on their heads. That sounds like a white, waving the white flag. You loosen your turban and, and also the hair on their heads. They must have had top knots. With folded hands they begged you to spare them and said, My Lord, we are all afraid of your strength. Please release us from this dangerous fight. We have also seen many times that you would never kill such surrendered fighters when they were all fearful, their bows, arrows, and chariots broken, forgetful of their military activities and unable to fight with you. So actually, we have nothing to fear from these demigods. They are very proud of being great fighters in peacetime outside the war field, but actually they cannot show any talent or military power on the war field. And now, <laughs> here's the ultimate crazy logic. Okay, we're just, the, we're just finishing the paragraph. Although Lord Vishnu, Lord Shiva, and Lord Brahma are always ready to help the demigods headed by Indra, we have no reason to be afraid of them. As far as Lord Vishnu is concerned, he has already hidden himself within the hearts of all living entities, and he cannot come out. <laughs> He's stuck. Vishnu's stuck. That's crazy, huh? As far as Lord Shiva is concerned, he has renounced all activities. He has already entered the forest. And Lord Brahma is always engaged in different types of austerities and meditations. And what to speak of Indra? He is a straw in comparison to your strength. Therefore, we have nothing to fear from any of these demigods, but we must not neglect them. For the demigods are our determined enemies. We must be careful to protect ourselves, to root them out from their very existence. We should just engage ourselves in your service, Kamsa, and be always ready for your command. Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Sri Krishna ki jai, Janmashtami ki jai, Go Premanandi. And now, take us on. Do you want this little socket? Yeah, it's a brand new socket. Hold my, my, my cell phone until my case gets here. That's okay. And now we're going to ask Radha Sindri to again garland Lord Buddha. <laughs> Yeah. Because he's naked again. He's just garland. <laughs> Thank you. The order has shit. Funny speaking of cases, something because he's going to be the same shit. Good. Yeah. Did you say that uh, when, when he, they went across the Jamuna, 